Amen. It's good to see you this morning. I pray the Lord will bless you for being here as we come together to worship. And my, y'all sound good out there. I'm appreciating hearing the sounds of God's people singing, as I always have, and just grateful that you're here today to worship the Lord. So I want to encourage you this morning before we get into the message. It's going to rain some more. <laughs> Do you feel encouraged? You know, if, if God's blessings uh, are considered to be like rain, we sing about there shall be showers of blessing, well then God has blessed us, amen? Uh, we have been blessed abundantly. Take your Bibles, if you will, and let's look in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We've been looking at God's goodness, and, and now we're beginning to look at God's grace. And uh, we saw the beginning of God's grace at least mentioned with Noah, when he's the first person in the Bible to be said that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But now we move to uh, another part of God's grace, and uh, this is a great Old Testament example. You know, one person said to another, I'm a self-made man, what do you think of that? And the friend that knew him really well said, I just think it points to the dangers of unskilled labor. I think we all would like to think of ourselves in some way as being self-made, that somehow or another we really had a large part in who we are, what we are, what we've achieved, what we have. But the reality is, we are here today. I'm talking about right here, right now, today, and you are who you are, and you have what you have because of the grace of God. Now, we don't think about that often. Sometimes we do think more in terms of what we've done, what we've achieved, and, and, and what kind of person we are, and so forth. But, but the Bible's very explicit, and particularly with regards to salvation, where Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, a verse that many of us know as we speak to people about Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one can boast. Now today, this morning, I am not going to try to get into some theological discussion about grace. In fact, I'm, I hope if I do that, I have failed this morning. <laughs> and in fact, I also am not wanting to speak to you about uh, some definition of grace or some textbook form of grace and try to explain grace in some way like that. Rather, I just want to look in the Old Testament for just a few moments this morning and look at an example of grace that David bestowed upon someone in the house of Saul but wonderfully pictures the grace that God has dispensed to all of us and is willing to dispense to anyone who turns to him in faith. So if you have your Bibles, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to travel back nearly 3,000 years ago to the days of David, when usually the change of a monarchy or a family uh, would mean that everybody of the other family dies. Usually they're sought out and killed so that there's no rivals for the new king, for the new monarchy, for the new family. And so, so as we look at this story, kind of keep that in mind as well. And also remember that David and Saul were not really good friends. Now David loved Saul and the Lord and he honored Saul as the king and had opportunities to kill him and would not. But Saul many times sought the life of David and chased him all around the wilderness of, of, of Judea. And so he was, he was a person who absolutely could have been justified in not wanting anything to do with the family of Saul. And yet we have this precious story that tells us about the grace of God. 
Let's look at it together. 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, we read in God's Word, Then David asked, Is anyone still left from the family of Saul, so that I may extend kindness to him for the sake of Jonathan? Now there was a servant from Saul's house named Ziba. So he was summoned to David, and the king asked him, Are you Ziba? He replied, At your service. The king asked, Is there not someone left from Saul's family that I may extend God's kindness to him? Ziba said to the king, One of Jonathan's sons is left. Both of his feet are crippled. The king asked him, Where is he? Ziba told the king, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amil, in Lo-Dabar. So King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amil, in Lo-Dabar. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed low in his face toward the ground. And David said, Mephibosheth? He replied, yes, at your service. David said to him, don't be afraid, because I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan, your father, I will give back to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will be a regular guest at my table. Then Mephibosheth bowed and said, Of what importance am I, your servant, that you show regard for a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's attendant, and said to him, Everything that belonged to Saul and to his entire house, I hereby give to your master's grandson. You will cultivate the land for him. You and your sons and your servants, you will bring its produce and it will be food for your master's grandson to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will be a regular guest at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do everything that my lord the king has instructed his servant to do. So Mephibosheth was a regular guest at David's table just as though he were one of the king's sons. Now Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. Mephibosheth was living in Jerusalem, for he was a regular guest at the king's table. But both his feet were crippled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and praise you. And Lord, as we have lifted our hearts and our voices to you this morning and lifted our thoughts and our prayers to you today, Lord, now we pray that it will be your Holy Spirit who will now impart to us from your word that which we need to receive from you. So that, Lord, we will hear you and we will receive from you wisdom and insight and understanding. But Even more so, Lord, I pray that all of us here today will receive a special awareness and understanding of not only the great grace that you have bestowed upon us, but the grace that you desire to bestow upon others as you are still asking the question today and asking your church, is there anyone that I can show grace to? Oh, Lord, I pray that we'll be quick to identify and bring to you those who need your great grace that is a gift through your son Jesus. And Lord, in this place today, would your Holy Spirit speak? And if there is someone today who's not yet received 
the salvation, the free gift, a pardon of sin that comes through your son Jesus, that today by faith they would respond and say yes to the Savior who is still seeking and searching for those to whom he may extend grace. Lord, do your great work in this place today. We'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, several things about God's grace that we can see in this story because this is grace that David is bestowing upon the house of Saul, upon someone who is left of Saul's house. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, we look and see that first thing that grace does, grace asks a question. The question here is right in verse 1, is anyone still left from the family of Saul? I want you to hear that question. Is there anyone left from the house of Saul? He wasn't qualifying this question. He wasn't asking things that you and I would probably have asked. He just simply said, is there anyone I can show grace to? You see, the reality is that this question was being asked of a very grateful king. Not grateful to the house of Saul because the house of Saul had sought to destroy him and Saul himself had sought to kill him and make sure that what the Lord had said about him becoming king would never come to pass. So when he's asking the question, is there anyone left of the house of Saul, he's doing it not for Saul's sake, but notice it says, for the sake of Jonathan, Saul's son. He wasn't saying it was because of Saul, he's saying because of Jonathan, And remember, David and Jonathan had a unique friendship. They were more than friends. The Bible says their souls were knitted together. There's the scripture that says, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. When I was in high school, I had a friend whose name was Don Hancock. We met in junior high school, and uh, I don't mean this in any derogatory term, but he was a Yankee. He was from Massachusetts, so he had the speech. I mean, he had all, he pronounced his words wrong. (laughs) But here he is in Florida, and a lot of folks have moved to Florida. Here he is, and and we became so close. Literally, when this this verse, I understand it fully because our souls literally knitted together. I never had a brother. I have a sister. I love her very much, but, but you know, something about having a brother. This friend was closer, I think, than I would have ever been to any brother. And I, I, we were just knitted together, and we, everything we did, we did together. We, uh, we just had a great time. And, and sadly, when I left to go in the Army, he was there to see me off. And unfortunately, um, uh, there was one other time I saw him alive, and that's when I went back to apologize for not living the way I should before him and not telling him about Jesus and sharing with him and his then wife how they could come to know Jesus. That was the last time I saw him alive. Well, many years later, when I went home to find out that he had been killed riding his motorcycle, run over by a car, the family had tried to find me, but back then didn't have Facebook, didn't have emails, didn't have cell phones and texts, and they had lost track of me, and, and I had lost touch with them. And so when I came back, I called, and the family, the, the parents were still living in the house that I knew that, uh, where they had lived and found out that he had died years ago. And I tell you, it was almost like it happened right then. But I know what David felt with Jonathan. And I know that when he's saying, I want to do something for the sake of, uh, of Jonathan, he wants to do something in the house of Saul. It was not because of Saul's house, but because of Jonathan's sake. But this is the question that grace asks. In fact, the word here that I may extend kindness is the Hebrew word kesed. It just simply translates mercy, 
loving kindness, but also grace. It's something that's undeserved. It's something that no one earns. It's just an unmerited favor. But, but Dave, uh, David's saying, I, I want to do something. I am grateful for what God has done in my life. And here I am with the opportunity to extend grace to the house of Saul for the sake of Jonathan. Is there anyone there? I love the word anyone. I love that, that just that word anyone because the bible says that god's not willing that anyone should perish but that all should come to repentance that's how big our god's love is that's how great his grace is and so as we look at this passage of scripture the question is there anyone i can show kindness for jonathan's sake is notice what's not asked here he doesn't ask is there anyone deserving in the house of saul that i can show favor for jonathan's sake Because it wasn't about deserving. He didn't ask, is there anyone qualified? Because it wasn't about qualification. He didn't ask, is there anyone who is intelligent, sharp, in good shape that I might use in my service that I can show favor to for the sake of Jonathan? Because a king might have been looking for a good personal bodyguard. Somebody he could trust. He just said, is there anyone? Folks, I'm so glad that grace asks that question today. God's grace is still asking the question, is there anyone that I might show my grace to for the sake of my son, Jesus? And God's still in the saving business. He still extends grace today for the exact same reason that David wanted to for the sake of Jonathan. God still does on our behalf. Look over a couple of pages back in 2 Samuel to chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, we read these words. Now Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son who was crippled in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan arrived from Jezreel. That is, that they had been killed in battle. His nurse picked him up and fled, but in her haste to get away, he fell and was injured. Mephibosheth was his name. We find that he was crippled, he was injured, because when the nurse heard that Saul had been killed and that Jonathan, the heir to the throne, had been killed, the nurse knew David was going to be king. And she also knew what happens to the king's household. And she got this five-year-old boy by the name of Mephibosheth and carried him as fast as she could to get him away from harm, away from danger, and in so doing, he fell and became crippled for the rest of his life. And now we come to our story today where there's a servant named Ziba. And I want you to think about Ziba for a moment because Ziba knew there was an heir to the throne. Ziba knew there was somebody in the household of Saul, but he didn't reveal that. He didn't say to David, hey, we still got somebody to take out. Ziba has kept this quiet. No one knows about this but Ziba. And David says, is there anyone of the household Saul that I can show kessed, I can show favor, I can show grace to for the sake of Jonathan? <laughs> and you got to hear Ziba when he says this. you got to hear what probably was in his voice when he said, one of Jonathan's sons is left. Both his feet are crippled. You can almost hear the no in his answer. <laughs> yeah, there's somebody, but 
He's crippled. He's not worth it. Don't worry about him. You see, David's question is the question of grace. Grace asked a question, and the question wasn't whether he's deserving, qualified, in good shape, could give him anything for himself. No, he just wanted to know if there was still somebody in the household, and it turned out it was a son of Jonathan. And David's response is awesome. Where is he? Where is he? He doesn't ask, how badly is he crippled? He says, where is he? Bring him here. That's what Jesus did for us in our sins. When we were crippled in our sins and unable to walk with God, and unable to fellowship with God, unable to have a relationship with God, it was the question of grace. Is there anyone for the sake of my son Jesus to whom I can extend my grace to? And he doesn't look at us and say, well, you're deserving, you're not, you're worthy, you're not, you're strong, you're intelligent, I can use you, you're not, I won't use you. No, the grace of God is still the same as it was with David. He still asks, where is he or she? Remember the first question God asked in the Garden of Eden? Adam, where are you? Not because God didn't know. <laughs> but that's the question of grace. And that's the question God's asking today. Where are you? Where are you so that God can extend grace into your life? Or are you in need of salvation? By the way, Hebrew is, is great to give us this depiction as well. Where is he? And the answer is, well... He's at the house of Machir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. In Hebrew, that means a barren place. A barren place. Mephibosheth, who had been the king's grandson, who had known what it was to live in abundance and knew, knew what it was to live in the palace, had fled from that palace and fled from that abundance, and now he was in a place of destitution. He was in a place of desolation. He was in a barren place. The grace of a king reached out to him. And again, folks, that's what God did for us. If you're here this morning and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God reached to you when you were crippled and he reached to you when you were in a barren place because until you came to faith in Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Grace asks the question, but grace also does something else. Grace seeks a cripple. Can you imagine the fear of Mephibosheth, the last of Saul's household, son of Jonathan, heir to the throne by lineage, and suddenly somebody arrives at his house in Lodabar and says, the king wants to see you. Can you imagine the fear that Mephibosheth had from the time he left that place until he came into the presence of the king? All he could think about was, I'm about to die. But notice David's words in verse 7. 
don't be afraid. It's one of Jesus' favorite phrases when he walked on this earth, fear not. It's one of the first words out of every time an angel appears to somebody, one of God's servants. First thing out of the angel's mouth, fear not. Why? (laughs) Because there's every reason to fear. And Mephibosheth had every reason to fear standing before God. And folks, today, in our sins, we have every reason, if we are not saved, to fear being before God. But because of the grace that extends to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, we can approach His throne of grace, not in fear, not in trembling, but with confidence and boldness. That's great. Grace that's extended to you and I, even though we do not deserve it, even though there's nothing of us, and yet the words are still spoken today, do not fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. Kesed is is a Hebrew word that's very closely associated with the Greek word that is agape. What is agape? Well, it's, it's that unconditional love. It's the kind of love that casts out fear. It's the kind of love that... We're supposed to have, and, and, and perfect love casts out fear. God's love casts out fear, and a heart filled with grace, well, it will be released from that fear. But it will also seek to release others from that fear. You see, when I say grace seeks out a cripple, when you and I have received the grace of God to save us from our sins when we were crippled, when we were in a desolate place, The same grace should be flowing from us to others. We ought to be seeking others who also need the grace of God. We should also be asking that question today. Is there anyone that I can show grace to for the sake of my Savior, Jesus, who gave grace to me? Do we ask that question? Is that a part of our mindset as to who we are, that we are people who can not only be recipients of God's grace, but be the the distributors of God's grace? The conduit by which God's grace comes through us as we share with others Jesus. Dr. Barnhouse once said that love that goes upward is worship, and love that goes outward is affection. But love that stoops is grace. And that is exactly what David did for Mephibosheth. He stooped down to this cripple who had nothing, could offer nothing, and yet David lifts him up. And that's what Jesus did for us. And folks, we ought to be doing everything in our power and the power of the Holy Spirit with opportunities that we have to offer the same to others. That same great grace. And not just God's grace, but our grace. In other words, our forgiveness, our willingness to reach out to those that otherwise are undeserving, otherwise who do not merit our favor, and say to them, for the sake of Jesus, I give you my grace, my forgiveness. I extend to you wholeness and friendship. See, grace asks the question, and grace seeks those in need, even a cripple. But then grace does something else. Let's look at that. Grace provides a privilege. It would have been enough if David the king had said to Mephibosheth, for the sake of your son Jonathan, 
you do not have to fear. I will not take your life. And folks, that would have been generous in that day. He could have said to Mephibosheth, for the sake of the fact that your father and I were good friends, not only will I not take your life, but I'll let you go back home. That's not all that he did, is it? He not only tells him he's not going to take his life, he has nothing to fear, but he says, everything that belonged to your grandfather, I'm going to restore to you. I'm going to take it a step further. You will always be welcome at my table. You come as often as you want, as frequently as possible. You will be like one of my sons, and you will always have a place at my table. I'm so glad God did that for us through Jesus. You and I have a place at the table. One of these days we're going to sit down. And Jesus himself is the one who said this. We're going to sit down at the great banquet that God is going to lay out for all of those who put their faith and trust in his son Jesus. All of those who, when he sought them out, willingly responded in faith. And we're going to sit at the king's table. Like one of his sons. Joint heirs. Child of God. This is what grace does. This is what God's grace does. It it asks the question, and you and I are the answer. It seeks someone in desperate need, and you and I fit that as well. But it offers a great privilege. Not merited, not earned, just simply bestowed by a grateful king. Because you see, Mephibosheth was unknown to David. He had not even so much as heard that Jonathan had a son. And yet he was a cripple living in a barren place. But for the sake of Jonathan, he extended grace to Mephibosheth. I read a, I read a modern day version of this a while back. I'm just going to share it with you real quickly. But there was a secretary of an important executive and went into his office and said, there's somebody here to see you. He's a young man. His name is Jen Corbin, and he wants to see you. He doesn't have an appointment, but he says it's urgent to see you. The executive who had other things on his mind just said, tell him to make an appointment. If he doesn't have an appointment, tell him no. He, he'll have to make an appointment And then all of a sudden that name that the secretary said suddenly hit him and he said, wait a minute, what did you say his name was? Secretary said his name is Jim Corbin. He says he knew your father. That busy executive pushed his chair back, ran into the reception room, and after searching the face of this young man who stood up with a grin around his lips, he exclaimed with joy and with amazement, You're Jim Corbin's son. Come in here. And he took him into his office, pulled a chair up close to his own, and said, Now tell me about your family. I haven't seen Jim for 14 years, not since I left Seattle, Washington. The young man bowed his head slightly and said, Father died about two weeks ago, and mother died about two years ago. You're the only son? 
Yes, sir. I'm the only son. I came here to Chicago to find a job, but I don't know a soul in Chicago, but I heard my father speak of you often, so I came to speak with you. That executive took that boy into his home, gave him a room next to the room of his own son, sent them both through college, and those two boys became vice presidents of that company. For Jim, what happened to him was not for his sake, but for his father's sake. And folks, what God does for us, he does because of his son Jesus. Don't ever think when you come before God that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I, you know, Lord, I, I tithe, I, I witness, I come to church. You do all the things that you're supposed to do as a believer, and that still doesn't merit anything from God towards you. Grace comes because of Jesus. You and I get to heaven. That's how we get into heaven, because of Jesus. I'm not going to get in there because we're a faithful church member. I hope everybody's a faithful church member. I hope everybody's doing everything God wants them to do. But folks, that won't get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of grace that was extended to you, Jesus is the reason for God extending to us his grace. And by the way, did you notice the story, the terms of the gracious act, all these things, but the permission to eat at the king's table. Yes, he's going to live. Yes, he's going to get all his family possessions back. But four different times, verse 7, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 13, it said four different times, and you will sit at my table. God is pursuing us to have a relationship with him, but more than a relationship, he's pursuing us to have fellowship with him on a daily basis. Let me ask you a question. You're invited every day into the presence of God. Do you do that? God's extended you an opportunity in your life to feast at the table of God and receive what you need from the Lord in the way of blessings, the way of strength, and the way of everything that He provides to you from His Word, the nourishment that comes from the study of His Word. Are you partaking of the King's table every day? Grace has made that available. I remember a state fair I attended when I was young. most intriguing and challenging event was trying to make the bell ring by hitting the hammer on some flat surface and trying to make some thing go all the way up and hit the bell. I'm sure many of you that are my age have done that or tried to. <laughs> and I was just 128 pounds, and I was pretty strong, but I could never make that thing ring. I tried and tried and tried, and I'd watch other people even stronger than me get up there, and they'd try to ring that bell only to fail. I see people in church trying to ring the bell all the time, trying to please God. Such a wasted effort. What you do, you do for the Lord because grace has been given to you. And then you take that and that use it as an opportunity to extend that grace beyond your life into the lives of others. David sought anyone that he might extend grace. And I'm so grateful that our Heavenly Father seeks anyone he might extend grace to because of his son. I just pray that today you and I are willing to do the same with others. 
in church, in our families, people at work. People, listen, if you want to know what grace is, you find the most unlikable, undeserving person that you know and put the word anyone on their back and make them the object of your grace. And you'll know what God's grace is like. Because that's what God did for us. Close with this very quickly. 1948, John Newton set sail from the west coast of Africa. He was on his way to England. He developed a reputation as an ungodly seafaring man. He despised utterly the Christian faith. And worldly riches and fleshly pleasures all had become his little g-gods. And little did he know God was going to take him while he was out on a ship in a fierce Atlantic storm and shake him out of his way. Newton's ship was so overcome by rough waves and strong winds that it was nearly split in two, and everyone on board was prepared to die except Newton. He had lived so ungodly, he knew he was unprepared, so he turned in repentance to Jesus and discovered a profound peace, an inner peace he had never known, and later penned the words of the most well-known, beloved of all Christian hymns, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. God's grace could extend to a slaver, an ungodly person like John Newton. And I stand here today to tell you he will extend his grace to you today. If by faith you'd be willing to turn from your sins and turn to a Savior who's still asking the question today, is there anyone of the family of Adam that I might extend my grace to. Would you be willing to say, me, please? Mephibosheth called himself (laughs) a dead dog. Harsh words coming from the son or grandson of a king, the son of a prince. But before David, he was nothing but a dead man walking. Until we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are dead people walking. But by God's grace, you can be a child of the King. Have access to the table and enjoy everything that belongs to God. Would you be willing to do that today? And if you're here today as a believer, would you be willing to examine your life and say, am I dispensing grace like God has dispensed to me? Am I willing to reach out to anyone, not just some people, but anyone, and extend the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus? If not today, would you make that commitment? Pick out the most least likely person for you to do that to. Stick anyone on their back and say, This will be my pursuit to dispense God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we come into the time of invitation. Lord, how we thank you for your grace that was extended to us through your son, Jesus. 
Lord, as we sing the hymn, I pray that this will be the time for us to examine our life. And if there is someone today, Lord, who has yet to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, Lord, may they see themselves as Mephibosheth was, crippled and in a barren place. A walking dead person, just awaiting death. Well, Lord, that today they might come to the Savior. And Lord, because of your, the sake of your Son, you will dispense grace that saves to the uttermost. And Lord, that there be those today who say, yes, I believe what the Bible says about Jesus be true, and I know I need to be saved. I, if I were to die today, if Jesus were to come back today, I would not go to heaven. But today I want to be ready, and I want to serve. Lord, for believers here today, some have not yet followed through maybe in believers' baptism. Some need to be obedient in church membership. Some need to be obedient in just serving you and being actively involved in your kingdom. And, and Lord, dispensing grace where grace is needed, even if it's undeserved, unwanted, unsolicited. Because, Lord, your grace sought us where we were. May we seek others where they are and do the same. Now, Lord, have your will and your way in this moment of invitation, and may we respond in faith and obedience to what you'd have us to do today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing the hymn of invitation. God has spoken to you. There's a decision, a commitment you need to make. Then today we invite you to come as we sing, Brother David.